I want us to think today about a Christian home. What is a Christian home? You know, the home or marriage has never been under greater attack than it is today. Would you ever dream that in your lifetime there would be an attempt to redefine marriage? To redefine it. And after thousands of years, they say, well, no, this, this is the way you define marriage. No, you define marriage exactly the way Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 19, and you'll see this on the screen. In chapter 19, uh, verse 4, look what it says. So you want God's definition of marriage. All right, this is what he says. He answered and said to them, have you not read? He made them at the beginning, male, and in the beginning, he made them male and female. All right, the next verse. And he said, for this reason, all right, so he's talking about marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become flesh. Then the next verse says, verse 6, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. And those whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So it's very clear. Male and female, he made them. And a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man put asunder. So any attempt to redefine marriage goes against thousands of years of the biblical understanding that marriage is between a man and a woman who have been joined together by God. But there's another attack on the home, not on the attempt to redefine marriage, but to say marriage isn't important. I remember in the early years when I started in the ministry back in 1957, 58, uh, I, I rarely knew of any people that were living together who were not married. Oh, there were some, but it was, it was the exception instead of the rule. But today it's almost like that marriage isn't important. So we'll just move in together and see how everything goes. And if it works out, fine. But you see, they, they have minimized the significance of marriage and said, well, it doesn't really matter. And so they just live together. And you'd be amazed, there's probably many people living together, not married, that are married. And that's been a tremendous change in, in, the, def, in, in the understanding of marriage and the family. And it's wrong. The Bible says sex outside of marriage is a sin against God. It's called fornication. But yet they say, well, no, no. Everybody's doing that, and we want to be sure that we're compatible. Well, you'll never find out by living with someone if you're not married to them. But then there's another attempt, attack on the home, not only to redefine marriage, to say that marriage is not important, just, live in, just move in together. And then there's a marriage by trial and error. So many people say, look, we're going to give it a try. And, you know, we're, just gonna, we're gonna get married and, and we're gonna, if it works out, that's good. 
I mean, you know, I'm going to give it my best shot. But if it doesn't work out, then, you know, all I got to do is go before a judge and say, we're incompatible. Can I ask you a question? Has any husband and wife ever been compatible? That's a good question, isn't it? You live with your, your new wife about two weeks, you say, we're not compatible. But you look in the paper, most of the divorces are incompatibility. You know, it's like they say, well, if it doesn't work, it's no big deal. Now, what happened to this thing? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Isn't it amazing? You see, th- this attack on marriage is attack on the family. That's what it is. And if Satan can destroy the home, then he can destroy a city or a nation. And so what we need to do is get back to God's definition of a Christian marriage and God's definition of a Christian home. You say, Brother Fred, what is the hope of our nation? Christian marriages and Christian homes. That's the hope of our nation. Where they raise godly children. That's the hope. I mean, and, and, and it'll filter over into the church. And it's a church responsibility to call people to God's definition of marriage. Look at Psalm 127. We're going to stay there for a while. And, and it's really an Old Testament passage, but written by Solomon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Solomon really talks about the, 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 a Christian marriage. Uh, he talks about He talks about Lord building the house, but you can take every one of these. Talks about children. You can take every one of these principles and you can come up with a clear definition and a clear understanding of a Christian marriage and a Christian home. I'm beginning in verse 1. It'll be on the screen. And that's Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now think about that. Unless God builds the house, the home, the marriage, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, unless the Lord protects the marriage and the home, unless the Lord keeps the, guards the city, the watchman wakes, watches in vain. Then he talks about it's no use trying to build a marriage by your own effort or a home by your own effort and labor. Listen to verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, so he gives his beloved sleep. He said, you know, you, you, you can't do it in your own power, and you can get up early, you can stay up late, but you've got to have God's power. You've got to have God's help. And then he goes on to say, then he starts talking about children. What a definition. He talks about children. He says, behold, behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. A heritage from God. It says, the fruit of the womb is a reward. What a high view of children. A heritage of the Lord and a reward from God. And then he goes on and say, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children in the hand 
uh, uh, like arrows are in the hand of a war, so are children. So are the children's are of one's. So are the children of one's youth. I got to thinking about that. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are children. So are the children of one's youth. And I said, Lord, you're exactly right. You need to have your children when you're young. When you get older, it's too bad. It's too hard on you. Now, you know, I love my grandchildren. We have six grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. And, and, and that's awesome. And I, we're going to get them all together the third week in June. I can't wait to get all of them together for an hour. <laughs> then I'll be wore out. When you get old, you just can't keep up with them. They, their motor never stops running. They told me that our, my grandson, my great-grandson, his name's Lance Hartwell, and I'm not special to him, but he's got my middle name. But, you know, that means a lot to me. They said, Brother Fred, he's like a storm all the time. Well, I'm going to calm him down. It'll take me about 30 minutes, and then I'll give up and let him go. <laughs> but it says here, it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. You're blessed when you have a lot of children. I believe my mom and daddy believed that. We had seven. We didn't have room for them, but we still had seven. You understand? The, happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. There are four things that I see in that psalm about a Christian home and a Christian marriage. First of all, a Christian home must be divinely founded. Listen to what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain that build it. In other words, God has to be the center and the solid foundation of any home for it to be a Christian home and a home that can stand the absolute storms of life unless God builds the house. You know, J Jesus said, "What let those whom God joined together you see, the key is that here is a, a man who has faith in Jesus Christ. Christ lives in him. His sins have been forgiven. He's not perfect, but he, he is saved. He's a child of God. The nature of Adam has been put to death. He has the new nature of Jesus Christ. He has the capacity to love and the capacity to forgive. And the capacity to be unselfish because Christ lives in him. And he's a new creation in Christ. All right, and then here's a woman that Jesus Christ lives in her. Her sins have been forgiven. The Adam nature has been put to death. And she has the nature of Christ. She's a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so here's a man and a woman who have this foundation. The Lord has the, now can take them and can build a Christian home. But you say, well, Brother Fred, what about people get married when, and they're not saved when they get married? Well, that's, here's a beautiful thing. I've watched people who were married who weren't saved, but then they had an encounter with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came into their heart and saved, their, saved them and they became a new creation in Christ and a marriage that was fragmented, a marriage where, where there was selfishness and self-centeredness, a marriage where there was constant discord when Christ came into the life of the husband and the wife 
And they, they, they became one in Christ. God joined them together when they were born again. And see, that changes the whole complexion of the home. That is a tragedy when the wife becomes a Christian and the husband doesn't. It's a tragedy when a husband becomes a Christian and the wife doesn't. The Bible says they're unequally yoked. And so the Bible says that the wife, by her godly behavior, may be able to be a witness and the husband might be changed. And the husband, by his godly behavior, if he's saved, may have an influence on the wife. Now listen to me. The difference in a marriage is this. When Christ lives in you, then you have his presence and his power. And you can forgive. And you can say, I'm sorry. And you can uh, get rid of all the junk that's in your life as you grow in your Christian life. But I am telling you, there has to be a divine foundation of the home. Unless God builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Jesus Christ is the preeminent and the center of any home that is Christian. You know, I remember when I got married uh, in 1956, my wife and I, and I was uh, 18 and she was almost 17. You say y'all got married young. I know it. I was crazy. I didn't know what I was doing. But, um, but I loved her. I did. I loved her and I still do. But I'm going to tell you something. The turning point in our marriage was at 19, a year later, when God brought me to the place of complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I was a, a quote, Christian. I was. I prayed, but still, Jesus wasn't on the throne of my heart. Self was on the throne of my heart. It was I, me, and mine. But when Christ changed to me in the spring of 1957, hey, my marriage was sealed right then. I, God gave me the capacity to love my wife like I should and not to be selfish and not to be self-centered and not to be all about me. You understand? You say, well, Brother Fred, have you always been that way? No, I'm not going to lie to you. My wife's here. But anyway, <laughs> I'm telling you, you know why I've been married 58 years with my wife? You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the cement that keeps our marriage together. And I guarantee you, as much as I love her, I'd have never made it because of who I was. Wasn't anything wrong with her. It was what was wrong with me. But thank God for the power of Jesus to forgive and to give you the power to love and forgive and get along with other people. Do you always get along? Come on. If any of you say, well, we always get along, I want to talk to you after the service and lead you into repentance for lying. <laughs> hey, we're two human, human beings with two different backgrounds. But let me say one thing. The common thing that brings us together is one. It's Jesus Christ. And that's the way we can love each other. The home must be divinely founded. But here's the second thing. I love this. The home, a Christian home, is not only divinely founded, it's divinely protected. L look at this. In verse 1 of 20, unless the, unless the Lord guards the city, oh, unless the Lord builds the house, there must be a divine foundation. 
But unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman wakes in vain. It has to have divine protection. I'll tell you, you know why? Have you ever wondered why Satan hates people and steals and kills? Have you ever wondered why? Now, let me tell you why. I've been meaning to say this for a number of weeks and just didn't say it. You know why? The reason he hates people is that he hates Jesus Christ. That's right. And we're created in God's image. And created in God's image, he hates us. And so he, he loves to hurt God's people because Jesus loves them so much. And so you've got to understand that you've got to have not only a divine foundation, but you have to have divine protection. And you know how God gave that? He laid out for us exactly how it's supposed to be in our marriage and in our home. Turn over to, uh, to Ephesians chapter uh, 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And he lays down the principles that are supposed to be there in our marriage. This is what he guards us with. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what he says. He talks about that uh, the protection that he has to keep a marriage safe and a home godly is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, you, you can begin looking at uh, verse 17. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, do, be not, do not be unwise. He said, be wise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is that? The will of the Lord is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we can be the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the child that we ought to be. It says in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said wisdom is not to depend on your own power for the protection of your marriage and home, to depend on God's power and be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if look at verse 19, he says worship together. That's why it's so important for a husband and wife to come to God's house together. You can read the Bible and worship together at home, but also you can come together corporately with the body of Christ, and you're saying to your children, the church is important, and worshiping God is important. After talking about that, he says, let me tell you how to worship. Look at verse 19. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be a family that worships together in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, always have a thankful heart. It says here, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I look back on the home that I lived in. And my father was a policeman. My mother was a homemaker. Five sisters and one brother. A three-bedroom house, one bathroom, and one small sink. That's humanly impossible today. We have two people in a house and four bathrooms and 12 sinks. I mean, that don't make any sense. Our sink was so small, it was about the middle of this uh, a pulpit right here. That's how big it was, just one sink. And it had one little mirror in front of it. And my daddy got aggravated with me because I wouldn't put the, tooth on the, uh, the top on the toothpaste. So he put on there, put the top on the toothpaste. I was offended by that. 
I didn't want to brush my teeth anyway. <laughs> you know, by the world's standards, we didn't have anything. But listen, by God's standards, we had everything. You know why? I had a praying mother. Oh, I had a praying mother. And I never missed church. It wasn't because I wanted to go. It's because we were going. I mean, I'm telling you, I thought everybody went to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. Everybody. But you see, you know, there was divine protection there. Because, you know, we worshiped together. You know, and then it goes on. And Now, here's the protection. It says, now, if you're going to have a Christian home and it's going to be divinely protected, you have got to have God's You've got to be surrendered to God. Look at verse 21. Do not miss this. After he said, you're filled with the Spirit. So here's a man and woman, and they become, they're married. And it says, submit to one another in the fear of God. Now, Brother Fred, I've got it figured out about my marriage. I've got it figured out by my home. I'm going to give 50%, and she's going to give 50%. And 50 and 50 is 100, Right? You're wrong. For your marriage to succeed, you've got to give 100%. You've got to give 100%. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Oh, no, you've got to put 100% of you in Christ into that marriage. And the wife's got to put 100%. Hey, it's not a matter of meeting each other halfway. It's in Christ, I submit myself to you 100%. In Christ, I submit myself to you 100%. I tell you what, the devil cannot wreck a marriage that they're submitting to one another in the fear of God. He can't do it. It's, oh, oh, I want it to be my way. You get on my nerves. I mean, come on. You got you to gotta have a surrendered life. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it goes on to the next verse. It talks about, well, the wives, respect your husband and let him lead you. Let him be the leader. Look what it says in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. And all the men said, amen, Brother Fred. Well, you've got to know what that means. When it says, wives, submit yourselves to the husband. It means that y'all communicate together. You communicate. You talk things over. And then you arrive at a decision. And say most of the time you'll come to the same conclusion, which is good. But at this point, you don't agree. So what does the Bible say? Well, if you don't agree and your husband's not asking you to sin, then you just follow his leadership. But I know he's going to mess up. You have to let him mess up. How's he going to learn if he never messes up? You know, my wife has not always agreed with me. In fact, I don't think she did yesterday. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But, she, but, but when, I, she has to, when we don't agree, she has to follow my leadership. She does it, sometimes joyfully, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but let me say this. A two-headed monster, a two-headed thing is a monster. You can't have two heads of a house. But does that mean we don't discuss it? 
Does that mean we don't talk about it? Does that mean the wife does not have input? No. It means that if you do things together because you've already submitted to each other in the fear of the Lord. He submitted to you. You've submitted to him. You've already submitted to each other. In the, so you talk things through and you pray things through. And most of the time you'll come out with the same agreement. But if you don't, somebody's got to be the leader. And the Bible says it's supposed to be the husband. But, but wait a minute. You, you wives are going to say amen on this. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. See, this is the way God protects the home. This is the way he protects it. It's got a divine foundation, and then he protects it. He says, now, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't build a Christian home without the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're filled with the Spirit, he says, okay, worship together. And then he says, submit to one another. And then wives, allow your husband to be the spiritual leader in your home. And then it goes on over in verse 25, though. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wow. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus loved the church sacrificially. He loved the church, and he was a servant. And he loved the church, and he was security. And husbands, love your wife, just like Christ loved the church, sacrificially, with a servant's heart. Bring security. I found this. There's a big, this is one of the big differences between men and women. I've become a great philosopher in this area. Here it is. Most men aren't too concerned about security. Well, you know, we're going to make it somehow. We're going to make it somehow. And the wife says, well, how? I'd like to know how. Well, I don't know, but we're going to make it somehow. And I'm going to tell you something. Security, a place to live, consistency in your marriage. I mean, that means everything. It really does. Where it may not bother you, it bothers her. And they need to know everything's secure. We got a pattern here. We got consistency here. Everything's going to be right. Because she trusts you because she knows you love her like Christ loves the church. Okay, so he's showing us how he protects our home. And then it goes on down in verse 33. And I want you all to get this. This is the bottom line. All right, and this, I want you to think about this. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. You love your wife the way you love yourself. Boy, that's pretty good, isn't it? You lo- so each one of you so love his wife as he loves himself. But now get this. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know when a marriage is in trouble? It's when a wife loses respect for her husband. You say, well, he caused me to lose respect. I understand. But somewhere along the way, there's got to be forgiveness. Somewhere along the way, there's got to be another chance. Somewhere along the way, you may need to start over. And if he keeps doing things that cause you not to respect him, then there's going to have to be some changes made. But let me tell you something. Husband, you're supposed to love your wife just like you love yourself. And you wives, you're supposed to respect your husband. And you don't need to put him down. You don't need to beat him down. Well, if you just just don't need to do that, it destroys his sense of worth. And that's more important to a man than it is a woman. And so, you know how God protects 
the home. Divine protection. Unless the Lord keeps the city, unless the Lord keeps the marriage, he does it by you let the word of God be the guide for your home. Worship together. Be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another. Wives, let your husband lead. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And see that you love your wife like you love yourself. And wife, you respect your husband. And those things together is God's fence of protection around a marriage. Here's the third thing. The Christian home must be divinely founded. Number two. The Christian home must be divinely protected. Unless the Lord... uh, uh, Unless the watchman guards the city, it watches in vain. But here's the third thing. The home must be divinely furnished. You know, um, wives have different gifts. You know that? And um, some, some, some are great. With, I mean, used to be women could really sew. And I meet people every now and then, that, that ladies that still sew. They got a sewing machine. My mama made all my sister's clothes. Thank God she didn't make mine, but she made theirs. But uh, every woman has her gifts. They all have their gifts. And sometimes those habits are expensive. Their gifts are expensive. <laughs> sometimes they're not as expensive. But you know, um, one of my, my, I, I said that to say that my wife loves to decorate. And I'm not going to pick on her. I'm moving on now. But she loves to decorate. But that can be expensive. You know that, don't you? We used to go to furniture stores all the time. Thank the Lord we never go anymore. <laughs> that is the joy of my life. Because <laughs> furniture is not cheap. We decorated about 10 different houses. You say, well, why did y'all move so much? She liked to decorate. And that's not being critical. She's a great decorator. You ought to come look at our house. It's, it's like it's southern living. But I could say, I can tell you how much that costs. And I'll tell you how much that costs. And that's why I'm going to preach till I'm 95 years old. <laughs> Ain't no way I could retire. Boy, I am not going home today. That is it. I will eat with any of you who ask me. But, you know, let me tell you about how you furnish your home. It's not with an expensive couch, and it's not with an expensive bed, and it's not with an expensive um, dining room suit, and it's not with an expensive chandelier. Uh, That's not the way you decorate your home. That's not the way God furnishes your home. Those are fine, but God furnishes your home with a holy atmosphere and a holy attitude and a holy effectiveness. That's the way God wants you. You see, what good is the furniture if God has not furnished that house with a holy atmosphere? There's the prevailing and pervading presence of God. God is there. God dwells here. And so there's a pervading and prevailing atmosphere of God's presence. Now, I want to ask you about the atmosphere of your home. Do you have a holy atmosphere? Or is your home furnished with a holy atmosphere? Let me ask you. In a lot of homes, there's bitterness. There's arguing. There's criticism. There's tension. There's hostility. 
There's prejudice. I mean, I mean, tell you, it doesn't take long when you go into a, a house and you soon find out it's a home that doesn't have a holy atmosphere. In other words, it's just, it's just not, uh, the atmosphere is just not right. There's criticism and arguing and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and it's just not, it's just not good. It's not good. You see, you're not supposed to endure, endure the home. You're supposed to enjoy the home. And if the atmosphere is not right. But now what if the atmosphere of that home is love and forgiveness and kindness and, and peace because we let Jesus control us and his peace become ours? I'm, can I ask you something? What kind of atmosphere do you have in your is it something you just look forward to? Man, this is the atmosphere that God wants to furnish your home with. He wants there to be love and forgiveness and encouragement. Oh, encouraging each other and appreciation and all of that stuff that makes every person from the wife to the husband to the children feel important. Oh, you can always find fault with your wife. You can always find fault with your husband. You can always find fault with your children. And your children can always find fault with you. That's not the issue. The issue is this. We are going to let the presence of Jesus prevail in this home. And we're going to have love and forgiveness and acceptance and encouragement and peace. But the second thing God wants to furnish your home with is not only a holy atmosphere... But he wants to uh, uh, furnish it with a holy attitude. You know, can I ask you a question, you wife? What's your attitude towards your husband? Husband, what's your attitude towards your wife? You know what it ought to be? It ought to be encouragement. Encouragement. Man, the husband needs to encourage his wife. The wife needs to encourage her husband. It needs to be support. I'm telling you, it just needs to be support in every area. You support him when he's up and when he's down. You support her when she's up and when she's down. You see, the closest person you're to is your wife or your husband. And man, if y'all encourage each other and y'all appreciate each other and you build each other up, my heavens, you're going to be blessed. That's the right attitude. It's the right attitude. But what if it's negative? And always finding fault. I mean, that, that's, that, 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 that'll destroy a relationship. There needs to be a holy attitude. And by the way, parents, you need to have the right attitude towards your children. Now, don't expect them to be adults when they're 12 years old. They're not adults. Don't expect them to behave like adults when they're not adults. Oh, you have standards and you have rules. And you have parameters. When they go outside of them, they know their consequences. But I'm going to tell you something. The greatest thing you can do is let your child know how much you love them. And you always encourage them. Always encourage them. One may be smart and make all A's. The other one may not as smart and make C's. But you know what you do? You know the difference between those two children. And you encourage that one that makes C's. You encourage them to do better, but you encourage them and you love them and support them because, hey, not everybody can make A's. Not everybody can. 
And so the attitude of a parent to the children is to let them know they're loved and they're accepted and you're thankful for them and you're going to encourage them. Listen, I heard one of the saddest stories Thursday night. Darrell Strawberry was the number one drafted baseball player when he got out of high school. And at, 29, at 21 years old, he was in the major leagues. Darrell Strawberry earned $80 million playing baseball. Most valuable player, one of the greatest hitters. But you know, his daddy was a raging alcoholic. And his daddy said he would. This is what he used to say to him, Darrell, you'll never be anything. You'll never be anything. You'll never amount to anything. One night he came home and a raging drunk, and had a shotgun, laid it on the couch and said, I'm going to kill every one of us. Daryl said he and his 15-year-old brother went in the kitchen and said, he ain't going to kill all of us. We're going to kill him. And they were prepared to do it and got ready to do it. But somehow God delivered him out of that, and then he was gone. But you know what Daryl Strawberry said? I never felt like I was worth anything. Even when I was a number one drafted baseball player, even when I was making $5 million a year, there were holes in me. There were holes in me. And I tried to fill it with cocaine. And I tried to fill it with sex. And I tried to fill it with alcohol. He said, for, for all my pro baseball career, I tried to fill those empty holes. And said, finally, now get this. He ended up living with his sister and her children and $3 million in debt. He came to the bottom, and there was a lady who said to him, I'm not having anything to do with you because you, you don't know Jesus, and said, it, you know, I'm just telling you. And Darrell Strawberry said that when he's living with his sister, God spoke to him, and this is what he told him. He said, I want you. Darrell Strawberry said, after all he did, God told him he wanted him. And he said he started reading the Bible. And for six months, all he did in his sister's house was read the Bible. And said he got, he got saved. He got saved. And then he went to the lady who said she wasn't going to have anything to do with him until he got saved. And they got married. Now, I want you to listen to this. For 11 years now, for 11 years now, he's been going all over this country telling people of the power of Jesus Christ. That only Jesus can feel the emptiness of your heart. Man, I heard him. And I want to tell you something. He's on fire, buddy. He's on fire. He, 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 he calls you out. You understand what I mean? And he talked about. And boy, he, he just has such zeal for Christ. For 11 years now, his message is only Jesus can satisfy the deepest needs of your life. Only Jesus. Hallelujah. That's true. Praise God. But I'm telling you, his attitude of his father toward him almost destroyed him. You know how God wants to furnish your home? With a holy atmosphere and with a holy attitude and a holy attractiveness. You know, God expects you to look your best. You know, why is it that before people get married, you know, the, the, the husband, the husband-to-be, he just, boy, he just looks his best, puts on his best clothes, shaves, puts on the best cologne, and he just looks his best when he goes out with his wife-to-be. And, boy, she looks her best. And then they've been married six months, and he ain't changed the pair of pants he's had on for three days. I mean, what is this? 
what is this all about? Do we no longer want to look our best? Do we no longer want to be attractive just because we're married? My heavens, that ought not be. I read a story this week that blessed my heart. A lady was putting up some drapes in her house. And she heard the mother talking. She said, oh, he's going to be home in 30 minutes. Said, you know, y'all go get ready. He's coming. Go pick up all your toys. Go clean up your room. Go in there and brush your teeth and brush your hair. And be, you look your best when he comes home. And she told the lady putting up the drapes, she's going to have to excuse me. And she went in there and be sure the house was clean and, and put on her, her finest clothes. I mean, no, no, not her Sunday clothes. But anyway, her good clothes. And did, did everything to, so she could look her best. And that woman put the dra- putting up the drapes said, Lord, i got to see who this is that's coming home. The kids are brushing the teeth, brushing the hair, cleaning themselves up. And this wife's doing everything to be sure everything's just right. And to look her best, he's probably going to come riding here and here on a white horse, a king. <laughs> Said at 5 o'clock, he walked walk in, he's just a humble man. Just a humble man. Nothing unusual about him. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. Let's don't take each other for granted. There needs to be a holy attractiveness. That really does. And, and, and we do need. Now, I'm not saying you can't get sloppy around the house every now and then. You need to get sloppy clothes on, you know, and, that are loose and, and don't choke you to death, you know. You wear these clothes that are too tight in public, but don't do that. You need to just get on some loose clothes. And you need to relax, you understand. You ain't got to go around looking like a million dollars all the time. But at least every now and then you can clean up, okay? There needs to be a holy attractiveness. Uh, but here's the last thing. I want to show you what the God, how God feels about children. I want you to look in Psalm 127. Boy, I tell you, this, this, this blessed my heart. Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. When God gives you a child, he's giving you a heritage. And look here, it's a reward from God. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. Let me say this. The thing that breaks my heart is, I know people who would do anything in this world to have a child. They, for some reason, known only to God, they've never been able to conceive. and Never been able to have a child. But that's one of the longings of their heart. And, and, and so many times they just find a child and adopt it and and they do and sometimes that's not easy but I'm saying to you my heart goes out to those who would love to have this heritage and to have this reward but to those of us who have that let me tell you something children are a heritage from God and the fruit of the room is his reward and it says here now get this that a child is like an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. There could be no better picture of the relationship between a mother and father and a child. They're like an arrow. Can you see a child? An arrow has to be polished and has to be pointed. It has to be polished. An arrow has to be directed. It has to be aimed. And it has to be shot. What a picture that God gives us a child. And man, we're to polish them. 
and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. And we're not only to polish them, but we're to point them. As an arrow is in the hand of a mighty warrior. We've got to point them. That's what you do. And then we've got to let them fly. Aim them in the right direction. Oh, listen, what a responsibility it is to raise children. You know the only problem with that? You, you never had any, so you, never got, you don't have any experience. When your first child is born, you have zero experience. Now, you can do better with your grandchildren because you've already had some experience. You understand? You can do that. But, man, I'm telling you, you learn by trial and error when you've got kids. Now, if you let the Word of God be your guide, and you let, but I'm telling you, I didn't know what I was doing. and I just didn't do it, but I, but I learned later. But I want to say this to you. As you know God's Word and then you know God's plan, remember that child is like an arrow in your hand. Polish it. Point it. Let it go in the right direction. And the Bible says God will honor that. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice it said that to fathers. Fathers, don't lead your children down a path that leads to wrath. What a statement. Fathers, don't lead your children down a path that leads to wrath, but you lead them in a way that they will grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'll tell you, the home, a Christian home is divinely favored. Children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. And happiness, happy is the one who has a quiver full of them. Happiness. Children bring happiness into a home. But if people aren't right with God and they're selfish, then it can be tough being a child in some homes. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. They are heritage. They're reward. And they bring happiness into the home.